Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Buddham dhammam sangam namasami. I'd like to start by reading Zen Master Basho. So Basho, the disciple of Echo, the Chinese master, was asked by the master, why do you spend so much time meditating? And Basho said, to become a Buddha. Then the master lifted a brick and started to rub it very hard. Now it was Basho's turn to ask the question, Why, Master, do you rub that brick? And the Master said, To make a mirror. So Basho asked, Surely no amount of polishing will change a brick into a mirror. Just so, said the Master, no amount of cross-legged sitting will make you into a Buddha. What did he mean by that? No amount of cross-legged sitting will make you into a Buddha. Yes, because you cannot get enlightened. You, the self that we so identify with, can never be enlightened just like a brick can never be a mirror. So the enlightenment is not shining up the brick, the brick, the construct of this self that we identify with. This body-mind does not become enlightened. But we can polish our awareness, our knowing, of that process until it is completely clear. So clear that there is nothing left. Nothing left. It becomes empty. The world is turned upside down. It is no longer a place of extremes, of dualities, of fragments, of differences of preferences. And that doesn't mean that nothing matters. What it means is that we are abiding in unconditional loving-kindness, unconditional compassion, unconditional empathetic joy for all beings and unconditional equanimity. These are very difficult abidings 
for us to understand. Just as from where we sit on the earth, it is difficult for, under, for us to understand the distance to the farthest star, or the time that it takes for the light from the stars to reach us. We cannot understand these concepts. But all we have to do is observe our own condition, the, the way that the mind knows the body, and fathom it to its utmost depths. And then we can penetrate through to the emptiness in all things beginning with this body-mind construct. Just like we're sitting in a chair, or on the floor, whatever you're sitting on, we have a name for it. We name it something. But actually, what we call it is not what it really is. What it really is is just a conglomerate, a composition, of elements, earth element, fire element, water element, air element, that's all. But we call it a chair. In some other language, in some other culture, it might be called something else. Then we could have an argument about what is it? What is it really? And so it is with all things. You can argue about any single thing that is a composite of raw elements. And whatever we look at, whatever we observe with the mind, it, it, is, it has the quality of being broken apart. It has the nature of being broken apart into ultimate qualities, ultimate characteristics, such as earth, water, fire, and air. And it's difficult to attach to that. So when you look at your face in the mirror, we're not looking with a mind that is clear, with a mind that really knows. We see the face and we think, oh, how lovely. Or, oh, how horrible. <laughs> Whatever we think. And then our thoughts take us into many strands of proliferation, exaggeration, attachment, uh, denunciation, despair, or happiness. Oh, many kinds of mind states that can arise from the way that we see, the way that we experience what we think is reality. But when we experience with more penetrating understanding the reality, the nature of all things, then there's nothing really to attach to, to cling to, to desire, to run after, to run away from. There's nothing that we need to fear. There's nothing that we need to burn up about. And there is a certain peace that can come from that kind of experience.
all of us who practice this kind of self-study, study of this conventional self, and we use the self word in different ways, ultimate self or conventional self. There's no ultimate self, but there's a selflessness. And the selflessness is to be seen by knowing the emptiness, the impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and emptiness of all phenomena. And we've discussed this before. So if we're looking for peace, peace is not some abstract experience out there. It's not based on external conditions configuring themselves in a certain way to be pleasing to us. Because they will change inevitably, just as the seasons change, just as our bodies change, just as our families change, just as the people we know change, the society we know changes. What's popular now was not popular then. What is alive now was not alive then and will not be alive later, including everyone here. We don't want to know this. Death, no, no, that's not for me. That's later or never for some. Uh, not dying. But, and then it comes. Somebody dies. We, we get the diagnosis. So, and it's not me, and it's definitely not going to happen soon, so I want to think about it. The, the really important aspect of all this is to understand that this body process is not, this body-mind process is not who we are. So on the topic of forgiveness, when we experience and suffer, in relationship or in the world, events, interactions that are upsetting, that are disorienting, that are destructive, unwholesome. And they turn us upside down, not in a good way. They turn us away from this self-study, this ability to understand the transient nature of all phenomena, the suffering nature of all phenomena, and the emptiness of the way we construe the world, then naturally the mind is overrun with these kilesas, they're called, or these hindrances, they're obstacles to clarity. Then we are back in the position of trying to make the mind into a mirror, mirror when it's like a brick because it's completely encased, encased in wrong view, unable to see clearly <coughs> what, where the suffering is coming from. And we have very strong views about this particular suffering. This is mine, me, mine, etc. And that, and then we construct the other person and we have duality. He did this to me, she did this to me. So we have this impenetrable duality. 
cannot let go of. And welcome to the world. Nations devour each other. Human beings crush each other. And the world keeps turning and turning in violence and chaos, in unskillfulness, in dukkha, in suffering. But that's the nature of the world. We're trying to realize something beyond that, something that can transcend hell and heaven, and that can stay right in the middle of those two, without moving away from either one, without giving any reality to those two extremes. But to be able to do that, we have to come to forgiveness. And forgiveness in this particular way is a kind of generosity of heart that is steadfast and penetrating through to the core in wisdom. is wisely discerning, wisely seeing that whatever we do which causes harm, whatever others do that causes harm, is done from ignorance, not from wisdom. If we can just see in that way, then there's nothing to forgive. It's just the condition of the world, and it's our own predicament as human beings in this realm. And the, the escape from that is for the mind to grow in enlightenment. Enlightenment means seeing, seeing right through into the emptiness of all these conflagrations, these fires. It's like the burning up of the heart. And our orientation in this particular practice, in this path that we follow, is to cool the heart, cool it, tame it, train it, open to all conditions, without pushing anything away, without clinging to anything, trying to hold on to anything at all. This is not a negation of life at all. It doesn't mean that we don't take care of the body. We have to take care of it, clean it, prop it up, move it skillfully, present it well, do our best, with the body-mind as, as best as we can. But without clinging, without identifying, without holding it as, this is who I am, but just riding in it like the way you ride in a Ford. It's like an old car, or a young car. And it has a certain instrumentation, and the mind is the instrument. And then, we guide our vehicle, we run our vehicle with these qualities of mind that help us to drive it well, using, we trust it, first of all, we, we have enough mindfulness, energy and mindfulness to run it at a good speed, not too fast, not too slow. Not taking a rough road, but taking a smooth road, a road that we know will help us to arrive. And then we have to figure out 
what is our destination? Do, do we want a worldly destination or a transcendent goal? A transcendent orientation? That orientation doesn't, spiritual orientation doesn't necessarily have an arrival at a place because the freedom of the mind is not a location. It's an emptying out, emptying out. And forgiveness is a, an emptying out. So if the mind is dwelling for one moment in heat, the heat, the flames of anger or greed or delusion, we know that we're in trouble. So we have to, with using these, applying these particular ways of driving our vehicle, qualities of heart that will drive us energetically and fervently in a direction of freedom. We don't want to be poisoned for one moment by holding anything against anyone, even if they were to take a knife and cut us with it. But that, I'm not saying you go and say, okay. No, not at all. But it's just knowing that violence done is unskillful. We can't control what other people do. Of course there are times when you might be able to convince someone not to harm us. But um, I can't help remembering this because it was a big deal what happened to me many years ago when I was attacked by a young man on the shores of the Casamance in West Africa. And uh, I was, it was the middle of the day and I was completely helpless. But I saw his violent face and I just called out, I chanted. And he said, what are you chanting? He, I was a laywoman at the time. He said, are you a nun? Please give me 25 cents. 
need something to give to the priest. Actually, he didn't ask me for 25 cents. He said, please give me something. I need to give it to the priest. That's how I can do confession. So I gave him 25 cents. And he went away. He left. So the forgiveness is a hard bought, hardly hard to understand gift. But it is the only thing that can really save us in the truest way. It's the greatest generosity that we can offer to ourselves to be able to forgive even an enemy. Because there is no enemy. This is the play of the world. We're in the theater here. And the theater is full of spiritual tests. Some of them are beyond our ability from where we are. But if we can rise up to the test, we can learn from the most difficult pain, from the greatest violence, from the destruction, from the disappointment, from the dukkha, the suffering of the body, we can learn how to forgive that condition. And that's by bringing the mind to this moment in a sense of gratitude, in a sense of pure presence, in a sense of submitting, surrendering ourselves to what is happening now, and receiving it not with resistance and fear, but with gratitude. There is some reason why this is now happening beyond our understanding. We're in a karmic predicament based on lifetimes of activity, mental, physical activity, which have activities which have ethical implications. So whatever we have done for eons of lifetimes, or even for just a few, we bear the results of that in this life. And we purify. If we can open to that karmic law, and to the law of cause and effect, the law of conditionality, we see that whatever result we're experiencing, the vipaka of previous acts, previous activities, this is the result that we having known that karmic impact is now what we're facing, then we just do the best we can with it. Instead of resisting, instead of creating the, the egoic response, which is, I don't deserve this. How do we know? How do we know? This is happening. There's a reason for it. Sometimes we are simply experiencing the act of martyrdom for the sake of other people learning great compassion. This may be impossible for us to understand, but it is certainly a possibility. Look at all the events that have occurred recently. Just nature, storms of nature, 
running across the land. One house is destroyed, another house is left standing. One family is killed, another family unscathed. Babies drowned, other children nothing. Why? We don't know. But what we can see are the results of those uh, occurrences, of those tragedies, of those events, is beings, other beings, rushing towards those people that are hurt, those situations, and giving all their strength, all their energy to help them. So, in every tragedy, every moment of darkness, there is some kind of grace happening. There is some kind of exalted level of kindness and compassion coming forth in the wake of that. This is the mysterious play of the human realm. Suffering and not suffering. Suffering and not suffering. Suffering arising and people rushing to rescue, to, um, to help, to ease those conditions. And growing themselves in strength, in, in beauty, in purity. So our, our demise, our, our destruction, may lead to somebody else's growing in the light, growing in goodness, growing in exalted states of mind. If we can use the circumstances that we are faced with in the best possible way, we, we ourselves, through the letting go of the body, bring some gift to another person. But if we're attached to particular conditions, to gaining, to uh, having power, to having beauty, to having the things of the world, then we don't realize that we're uh, spiritual warriors on a journey of realizing the freedom of the heart, not to gain special favors from the world, from worldly things. This is, this is already a great giving up. So spiritual gain comes through uh, renunciation. Some level of sacrifice has to happen there. Actually, we think it's sacrifice but what we're doing is making sacred. We don't all have to become monks and nuns to do this. Sometimes being in the road can be a hindrance if it's not used well, just like anything. <coughs> Sit back and um, just, okay, now, now one is living in a monastery and one just takes it for granted that Nibbana, that the enlightened mind will just happen. We don't, have, we don't have to make effort. We don't have to put in the right causes and conditions, the right polishing. Not polishing a brick, but polishing the heart. It's much harder to polish the heart than to polish a brick, actually. 
know this is not easy to do. And with giving forgiveness, that doesn't mean that we just allow people to step all over us. Not at all. But we choose our friends wisely. And if people treat us unskillfully, we don't deal with them. Do you deal with dishonest people? Choose friends that are morally worthy of your company. Choose mind states that are morally worthy of your attention. The, the, the whole activity on the outside is based on how much we are purifying within the mind. So this is a moral expedition. It's a project of the highest ethical proportions. That's what this life is. So to be able to forgive, we have to clean our, our mental slate in such a way that we're choosing our, um, our area or the realm of our activity in a way that we don't associate with people who affect us or impact us unethically, unwisely, immorally. We just keep a distance from that. But inevitably, we can be hurt, physically hurt, but not morally hurt if we are secluded in the mind. If we're secluded in the mind, no one can terrorize us. No one can actually bully us because we're not invested with what they're pressuring with, with what they're using to pressure us with. We're not invested in that. We're invested in being rescued so that our, the fabric of the heart, the moral fabric of the heart, is intact, is sustained intact, is polished is purified so that there is no dust remaining. So there are many ways to answer this question about when am I ready to forgive? Because there are so many levels of forgiveness. But ultimately, the forgiveness requires a, 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 a penetrating understanding of our, our moral nature and commitment to purify that, to honor it, because we think that we are human beings, but we are much more than that. We are moral beings, spiritual beings, and that must be preserved, polished, because there is a holiness there. If we don't sanctify and recognize it, if we don't celebrate it and uphold it, then we create violence to ourselves. And other people are able to violate us. But if we hold, us, hold that intact, if we uphold it, preserve it, protect it, commit to that preserving and protection, we act as guardians, we parent ourselves in the Dhamma not in the ways of the world, then no one can harm us 
even if our bodies are torn to pieces, they cannot harm what we truly are. And we cannot harm anyone. So to be harmless is to be truly selfless, to understand that selflessness and to bow to it, to pay homage to that.
literary discontent. It was John Steinbeck's last novel. And I read it when I was in grade school. And I, I remembered it very clearly. So I thought I would let you all know. <laughs> Not that I, the ego doesn't want to be right. <laughs> I just thought for the record. <laughs> So don't get caught up in the winter of discontent, but turn the mind to gratitude. Because that's how we turn to the beloved, to love, to that which is, can be truly polished and purified, that which can rescue us from every condition. Try as we might to not die from cancer or whatever we have. We all will get something. We have to die from something. We don't die from old age or from sickness. We die because we were born. All of us will, be, will become empty shells. We, the body. But the mind can also become empty. And in the emptying of the mind, that is the cause and condition. That is the cause and condition for enlightenment. Not you, not me. Just that. That emptying. So keep taking the garbage out. Not just the kitchen garbage, but the internal. We spend a lot of time cleaning the house and, and disposing of our garbage. Even nowadays, you have to put it in clear plastic and recycle everything. But we happily carry around the garbage of years in our minds. We don't take it out regularly at all. This is dangerous. It becomes so impacted a bit like the reservoir of garbage in the Pacific Ocean, which is now a continent of garbage. There's a continent under the ocean of garbage from human beings for the last, how many, I don't know, decades of throwing things out. All the contents of stores that have to change their merchandise. Where do you think it goes? Don't ask. It's too scary. But the scariest thing is that we don't empty the garbage in, inside of us. So forgiveness is a, a fast track for empty garbage. This kind of mental garbage. Next time somebody is mean and nasty, uh, or we, we realize that we're triggered and we want to blame the trigger. No. Just turn the mind to that which best supports emptying the garbage, overcoming hatred, overcoming greed, overcoming the restless agitation, overcoming exhaustion, fed up weariness, overcoming doubt, 
the chariot and stay, stay present, stay awake, stay aware. That's the path in a nutshell. So thank you for listening. There's another question here. Does the deathless include a will or is it just passive awareness? I'm not sure if the inclination towards being skillful is conditioned or something more fundamental. Well, you know the answer to this question. Conditionality is fundamental. But what conditions skillfulness is skillful mindsets. So if you have a skillful intention, that will help to create the causes and conditions for more skillful, wholesome aspirations for virtue in your mind to take hold and to, to be the path on which you move, from which you decide and choose. So of course, the deathless, there has to, to be an intention to develop that knowledge. And it comes from developing the, these beautiful states of mind to be morally whole. Whole W-H-O-L is also empty of immoral attributes, qualities. We have to be so mindful of what the mind is doing all the time. Instead of always being worried about the external weather, keep checking the weather in here. That's the only weather to be concerned about. Is the, the earthquakes and tsunamis and hurricanes are all in the mind, starting up, and we're paying attention to the... We can't do anything about the external weather, but we can do everything about the internal weather. And if the more mindfulness we have, so equanimity helps to purify mindfulness. Patience and wise discernment and putting in the right effort, trusting the path. These faculties of the mind, concentrating also, being sure that you rein in, restrain the mind, and not allow it to go out to objects. Don't trust objects. Don't look for objects in the world to be fascinated by and be distracted by. And what's the biggest fascination of all? right now? What is it? Cell phones. <laughs> People hold on to their cell phones as if it's life. Just watch the addictions. Yeah, we all have addictions. We must free ourselves from those and be a servant of Dhamma. A servant. Like to serve the Dhamma is to serve the goodness, the development of the spiritual path within our own mind. It's to serve the Dhamma. Oh, 
asserted in that way. So yes, we need the willingness to serve. That's not passive, it's dynamic. You have to want it as if, I think Rumi said, as if your hair were on fire, if you have any. <laughs> to be willing to burn up, to burn up till the flame goes out. But not, I don't mean burn up your house. We almost burnt up our hermitage last week. We don't want to do that. We take care of the fire element. But we're using these things as metaphors. Please don't take me literally. <laughs> Next thing you know, we'll get the news that one of the yogis here self-combusted. <laughs> Set themselves on fire to burn up all the defiance. <coughs> Not like that. But use the elements wisely and go forth. <laughs>